Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, fitness for real people, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. On today's episode, Gabrielle interviews award-winning clinical pharmacist, producer, writer, spokesperson, and host of Dr. Linda TV, Dr. Linda Bernstein, a clinical professor on the UCSF School of Pharmacy volunteer faculty, and an expert in medication misuse, Dr. Bernstein has harnessed the power of media to educate and bring the best of health to you to make the most informed health decisions. We discuss her show, how parents can prepare their kids for going back to school, how to be a good health detective, flu and COVID vaccines, her research on ivermectin, as well as hidden ingredients and supplements. And now here's your host, personal trainer and stretch therapist, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People. I'm your host, Gabrielle Mazar. And on today's episode, I have Dr. Linda Bernstein. She is an award-winning pharmacist, uh, clinical pharmacist, producer, writer, spokesperson, and a, a clinical professor on the voluntary staff at the School uh, Pharmacy of UCSF. So welcome today, Dr. Linda. Gabrielle, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you have a, um, a TV, a Dr. Linda TV. So you have kind of your own production company and things that you do because you wanted to start media for pharmacy and people to be able to ask you questions about all kinds of things that you talk about on your podcast, on your TV show, online. So tell us a little bit, one, about Dr. Linda TV and about yourself first. Great. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I, you know, I've been doing a mix of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, media and pharmacy for decades already. So this is not something really new. It's like, you know, one of these overnight successes that happened after 35 years. Okay. Right. So uh, basically, um, so this is just kind of a new entity, a new branch of something that I've been doing for a long time. And uh, so I created a kind of a multimedia network. Of, it's, it's primarily a goal of educating the public about how to use their medicine safely and effectively and talking about other general health topics. So it's a mix of pharmacy and health in general. Uh, we have several different components. First of all, we have a website, which is drlinda.tv and I'll spell it just because it can be a little confusing. So it's D-R-L-I-N-D-A dot, as in dot com, dot TV. So that's it, D-R-L-I-N-D-A dot TV. I hope everyone comes and checks it out. Um, and if you go to the website, you'll find several things. First of all, you'll see our video episodes. We are going on number eight coming up pretty soon. Um, we've covered a variety of topics, everything from sun safety in August for sun safety month to um, avoiding ivermectin for uh, COVID-19 to how to avoid adverse drug interactions. So it's been kind of a, an interesting array of topics and I think we're gonna touch on a couple of those today. Mm -hmm. um, also, we have a blog which um, has articles that relate to the video topics. They're not exactly the same, but kind of expands upon them or picks one aspect of them and, and goes into it. Uh, we have an Ask Dr. Linda section. So if an, anyone has a question, they can fill it out, fill out a little form and ask me a question. And that could become the subject of a future episode that we have. 
Um, and we have also special resources. So for example, we have a free download of my medication list, which is a list that you can use when you take with you, take your medicines and uh, bring a list with you to your doctor or your pharmacy or an emergency room or wherever it's good to have an up-to-date medication list. And so we have a form for that. So, um, so that's the, the website part. Then we have a YouTube channel, which is Dr. Linda TV Best of Health. And again, all our video episodes are uploaded there. And we have the same, um, the same audio uh, of, as the video is on our podcasts. And the podcasts are on Google and Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio and Spotify and, and a host of others. So And everywhere you can have a podcast. <laughs> everywhere you can have a podcast, we are there. Yeah. And so those are kind of the main things. And one of the things that we course I have to say because um, you know that's how you survive in this business is I hope that you will come to our YouTube channel Dr. Linda TV Best of Health like and subscribe uh, we've had quite a lot of views and we'd like more subscribers so we hope that your audience will take a take up that offer and, and go for it yeah can you tell me uh, what 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 was your first episode uh, on Dr. Linda TV uh, actually the first one was on flu vaccines and okay. Um, one of the things that I like to do in my episodes is trigger the content with uh, a question from a, a viewer. And so the first question was, um, do I need to take a flu vaccine if I've already had the COVID-19 vaccine? So that was kind of the first question. And the answer is yes, they really don't have a lot to do with each other at this point as far as we know. But um, basically the answer was yes. And I talked about also in the blog, we talked about um, things that you need to, five things you need to know about the flu vaccine. So um that was the, the focus of our first episode so we are coming up on flu season so um where can people people can just go to their local pharmacies cvs walgreens to get flu shots even like a grocery stores to get the flu shots but um, well, um, they, and they of course they could ask their own personal healthcare provider for a flu shot as well or go to a clinic or something so who, who would you recommend get the flu vaccines. Okay, so the Centers for Disease Control recommends that every person six months and older get a flu vaccine every season. The only rare exception to that might be if you have a severe life-threatening allergy to one of its ingredients. But basically it's six months and older. So we're talking babies, you know, six months and older up through 95 plus. Um, and so the only people that should not get the flu vaccine are children, as I mentioned, under six months of age and those with a severe allergy to one of the components uh, of the um, of the flu vaccine. So how, it's, do you it's know, how do you know if you have an allergy to one of the components? Well, one doesn't always know yeah. uh, <laughs> to begin with, but most of the time it's fine and, you know, if um, if you have ever had any kind of a vaccine before in the past, which a lot of people have had, mm -hmm. to the they know if they're allergic to eggs or to gelatin or some other of the ingredients, but it's a pretty pretty rare phenomenon. And certainly, if you if you do get an allergic reaction, you would know about it pretty quickly. And wherever you are, you know, if you have any concern whatsoever, you might want to do it in a clinic where let's say they might have the, the emergency um, immediate kinds of epinephrine are available if you would need it, um, or people who can call 911 for you and, and so on. But most of the time, that's a very rare exception that, that should, any problem should happen like that. 
So if people don't know, when is flu season and when should you get a flu shot? Okay, so it's generally recommended in the early fall, and that would be hopefully by the end of October that you have get, got your flu vaccine because it does take about two weeks for it to start to work. And so you want to make sure that you're covered when it's the fall and winter months. Um, that, but, you know, if for some reason you don't get it by then, you can still get it. So get it in November, get it in December, January, whenever yeah. you, you can. Because or before uh, you, don't wanna, <laughs> you don't want to get it too early because then it could start to sort of wear off a little bit by the time, you know, the height of the flu system comes. So they recommend that in the early in the fall, by the end of October is what's recommended by the CDC. Oh, so you can find the, this episode or the flu uh, flu vaccine episode on your website. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on your podcast. Um, but if people want to sign up to see, they would just subscribe to your YouTube channel. Um, they they don't even podcast. have to subscribe to view it. You know, they they um, they can just click on it and it'll play. Okay, it's episode one, flu vaccines. Um, but if they like it and they want to see more in the future, then hit like and subscribe would be wonderful. Yeah. So since flu season's coming up and we are seeing, um, we're definitely seeing more illnesses. Um, I know one of my clients, her around her kid's school, they're seeing strep, they're seeing foot and mouth. Um, they're seeing also COVID, they're seeing all kinds of other illnesses going around. So there are other things going around. Um, how can parents prep their kids to go back to school right now? Since, you know, the kids have been out of school for so long, what is, what is something that they can do to prepare their kids to going back to school and in-person schooling? I think that's a great question, Gabrielle. And the CDC, I keep going back to it because they're a great resource for anyone who wants to get up-to-date health information. This, and I'm talking about the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We've all heard a lot about the CDC lately, of course. Um, they've come up with a back-to-school checklist for parents. And I recently wrote an article that appeared in Costco Connection magazine in their August issue, which talks about this very topic. So um, it's very timely that you ask. Uh, so uh, there are about uh, five different things to keep in mind. First of all, be your your child's best health checker. You know, if you see that your child is feeling ill, if they have a fever of over 100.4, if they have a sore throat, cough, diarrhea, severe headache, vomiting, body aches, any of the things that would trigger you as a parent to say, my kid is not up to par here, don't send your child to school, okay? And in fact, if that does occur, you should let the child, let the school know that your child has had that uh, those sets of symptoms and you very well, well, of course, you'll ch probably check in with your pediatrician and you might be recommended to get a COVID-19 test. And, um, you know, I have a daughter that lives in Israel right now and it sort of, it sort of must become a way of life there because, and they're very advanced with the COVID-19, um, you know, both test testing and prevention. And if one child in the class tests positive, then everyone has to get tested. And it's, it's not anything that is sort of out of the ordinary there. You just have to go for it, except that's the way of life we have right now. Right. That if your child gets sick, get them tested, make sure. And because not only for your own child, but for other members of your family and for other children that they come in contact with at school and the teachers and the staff. So everyone has to take a responsibility for their own 
people, you know, their own children, sure. and make sure that they don't start spreading COVID-19 around or any other infection. Or any other, right. I mean, you wouldn't want to send infection. your kid to yeah. school with lice, yeah. you know, and be exactly. spreading lice they, around. Or, it's, or, yeah, it's common or, sense, but I think sometimes, <laughs> you know, people might say, oh, well, they'll be okay. It's, I don't want to go bother to, to go get them tested or whatever. Yeah. But I think it's, everyone should have a heightened sense of responsibility about that now. Um, sec the second thing on the checklist is childhood vaccines. Make sure your child's vaccines are up to date, that they have the flu vaccine. And um, unless of course they can't take it for some reason, but that's an important thing. Uh, secondly, personal hygiene, training your kids. And I'm sure a lot of kids have been in training now for over a year um, to wash their hands, more often at school to um, try to keep a physical distance, try to wear a mask, avoid sharing objects, drinks, and foods, carry their own water bottle, have a little thing of hand sanitizer if they're old enough to self-administer it, and make sure that your child, until all our children have the ability to get a vaccine, if it was my child, I would make sure that they wear a mask. And that generally, you know, I know that that can be a controversial topic in some areas of the country, but it's again it's a common sense thing you want to protect your child you want to protect those around them so a mask is a pretty easy way to do it and i've got you know they come in all sizes and here's a little one for <laughs> little kids i just happen to have my grand oh that's cute little mask it's very small <laughs> yeah it is it's cute so okay so next um school time precautions so when they're at school as i mentioned they should do those things okay uh the final one is school plan so when you're let's say you're sending a child you're sending someone to pick up your child um, in case of emergency or just even for a regular pickup uh, make sure that they take precautions themselves and if they're a really high risk type of person you may not want them to go to the school because their kids are running around who have not been vaccinated so follow mask and social distance guidelines on the school bus and in the, in the carpools and just do everything you can to prevent the spread of COVID-19 uh, making sure that your school has proper ventilation, routine cleaning, that they have modified their classroom layouts, um, being outdoors whenever possible, reducing the number of people in an indoor space, and encouraging kids to stay six feet apart or three feet apart, uh, as I think the guidelines certainly say now is about three feet apart. So just make, and also make sure that, you know, if it makes you more comfortable and you feel safer about it, is to develop these pods of of families that you feel comfortable with and make sure that your kids don't go out of those pods in terms of home play dates and try to limit the, your children's play dates, the kids who are um, in their cohort at school. And um, that's just helps to reduce spread. As, as much as you can with kids, you know. As much as you can, it's nice. They, kids are, t you know, they run around and they touch everything. They... It is not easy. I, you know, I uh, don't envy parents nowadays who have to deal with that whole thing so but I'll, I'll try to try to uh, strive for the best we can do that's right. all we can um so since we're talking about um COVID-19 and touching all of that um I did want to touch on ivermectin um we do know that it Obviously, it is approved by by the FDA uh, for use for for lice um, as a cream. It is approved for other things as well, and it has it has been used um, in certain studies that we've seen. But you, as a pharmacist, I did want to get your opinion on it and kind of uh, see what you know of it and what is going on with it as as in regards to COVID nineteen and and why people are 
crazed about it. Okay. So when I first heard about this, I thought to myself, whoa, what is this? What is going on here? People are taking horse products, uh, you know, things like that. So I certainly got my antennas up as a a pharmacist and uh, certainly someone who is tuned into poison prevention and things like that. So I did some research and I actually created a separate episode just on this very topic. So for your um, audience, please do check out the ivermectin, avoid ivermectin episode. And also there's a, a blog associated with it as well. So the bottom line is that yes, ivermectin is used in humans and animals. Um, it's like an anti-parasite drug. It's also used for lice. Um, and in animals, of course, the doses are going to be animal doses for cows and much, horses. much different, <laughs> much, much larger. Okay. Now, just because it's, it is approved for humans and animals in some things, it doesn't mean that it's approved for COVID-19 and the FDA does not have the data yet to say, yes, it's safe and effective against COVID-19. The data is just not there yet. There have been, and there are ongoing clinical studies and some of those studies have been put into question because their methodologies are a bit on the shaky side um, or have proven to be not as true as we initially thought. So I would say the jury is still out on this one, um, but in the interim, I would suggest people do not use it for that reason. Do not use animal products in general. Do not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19 because you are subjecting yourself to potentially unwanted side effects that is not necessary. It could make you sicker and could you end up in the hospital like some people have had to them. So, well, I think it's safe to say that um, people that are not doctors um, and going off of whatever they're reading, whatever they're seeing, shouldn't be self-diagnosing and self-dosing of anything, regardless of what it is. It doesn't matter if it's ivermectin or if it's ibuprofen. Um, you know, you can definitely overdo it on any of those things. I mean, there are, you can cause kidney failure if you're taking too much of uh, certain medications, you know. So I think it's, it's absolutely safe to say that it doesn't matter what the medication is. In any case, even if you think you're doing your own research, medical professionals are medical professionals because they went to school for many, many years and did their rounds in hospitals and have worked in hospitals and done, you know, their thesis and all of those things to get to the point to where they are. So, um, yeah. You bring up a very good point, Gabrielle. And I I think that, but that said, um, people do use over-the-counter products without a, a physician's uh, you know, blessing before they buy it and consume it. So it's really important to understand what you're doing when you do that, because um, that's why we have labels. That's why we have drug facts labels sure. that talk about non-prescription products and, and read them carefully and understand what the precautions are, potential drug interactions. And if you have questions, ask your pharmacist who's just a few feet away from you uh, if you have questions. It, because it could be a problem for other conditions you have or um, other medications that you're taking. I, and I'd be happy to review some of the questions you should ask your pharmacist. If yeah, I, you led me right into my next question, actually, because that was I literally, know. I was just going to say, what what are some questions that you should be asking your pharmacist, even if it's about over-the-counter medications? Because I think people probably don't don't think to ask, you know, what about Advil? What about aspirin? What about Pepsid? 
you know, there are there are things over the counter. I mean, even Nasonex or whatever it is, you know, what should you be asking your pharmacist? Uh, things okay. you should know before you're taking any medication. Sure. So there are basically five things that you should know. Um, and I can fill in kind of underneath each of those five things, some of the specifics, but let's just talk about the five to start with. Uh, first of all, the name of the medication and its purpose. So if let's say you get a new prescription and uh, you wanna make sure you under, know what the name of the medicine is, then that the medicine might be uh, a brand product um, or it might be a generic version of the brand product. In any case, it has a name and you should know what that name is and add that name to your list of medicines that you have that you take for yourself. And of course, if it's a prescription product, then the pharmacist will have put it into your record for their, um, in their com computer, the, which is, this is a side note, try to stick with one pharmacy so that they can accumulate this um, accurate record of what you're taking and they can get to know you and your medicines. Okay, so that's number one. And know the purpose of the medicine. Sometimes medicines have multiple purposes, so it would be good just for your own education and understanding of your own condition to know why you've been prescribed this medicine. Also be aware that some, it may be a one pill, but it might have multiple ingredients. So that could, could be the case. And um, so that's, that's the first one, name of the medicine and its purpose. Secondly, know how to take the medicine. That sounds pretty obvious, but there can be, there can be misunderstandings about that. Uh, you could put you know, an ear, an eye drop into your ear, but I mean, there, I've seen all kinds of crazy things, that, mistakes that people make about their medicines. Um, so first of all, know how much you're supposed to take per dose. Is it one full pill or, or is it a full capsule or is it a half a tablet? Um, find out if you can, uh, some people have trouble swallowing and they might want to crush their medicine. Not all medicines can be crushed and put in applesauce. If it's Summer something time that, release. It, it, exactly, a time release. Very good, time release. Um, I take a lot of medication. There you go. Okay, so, so know which ones can do that. So know how much to take, know when to take it and for how long. Is it um, a, a limited length of time, like for an antibiotic for an infection, which case you should feel, do complete the full course of it, but you're not gonna be taking it for years to come. Um, but other ones you might just be taking as needed and other ones on a regular basis. Um, also, should it be taken with food or on an empty stomach? Are there any other special instructions for use? If it's an unusual kind of dosage form, like an inhaler or an injection, do you understand how to do it? Can you demonstrate it to the pharmacist before you leave uh, the pharmacy? So that's important. And um, should sometimes it'll say, take every eight hours or take three times a day. Does that mean uh, so take three times a day, does that mean take it every eight hours around the clock, even if you have to wake up, or can you just take it, let's say breakfast, lunch, and dinner during the day? So those are things to ask about. Um, and then finally about medication storage, um, is there some special storage requirement? Uh, does it need refrigeration, that kind of thing? And make sure that you do store your medicines in a safe place away from children, away from moist environments and heat. Uh, the third question is precautions. What other drugs, foods, beverages, or activities to avoid? And the obvious one is, can I drink alcohol with this medicine? Or are there any foods that could interact and cause the medicine's effect to increase or decrease? Can I safely drive? Uh, or um, are there any other non-prescription or herbal products to avoid while using the medicine? Uh, some, some herbal products might affect blood clotting ability. And so if you're gonna have a surgery in the next few weeks, you may not wanna take those. Or if you're taking um, a blood thinner already, you may not wanna take those. So, so there are all kinds of those little nuances that you need to 
to think about in terms under the precautions category. Um, the next one is um, potential side effects and what to do if they occur. I don't know about you, but when I get one of those one sheets from the pharmacy and it lists 35 different side effects, my eyes go like that, you know, and I <laughs> yeah. say, oh, oh my God. Well, okay, I'm just not even gonna read them because it's kind of overwhelming. Yes, so, most so the, people I think, yeah. So a fair question is, what is the mo what are the most common side effects to watch out for? And what are the rare, potentially dangerous ones that I should report in? How do I recognize those? So uh, if you can kind of narrow it down, then that's that's helpful just to sort out the potential side effects. And all medicines have potential side effects. So, but you know, some of them are just very mild and they might go away with time and other ones could be more significant. And then another good question to ask is, what do I do if I miss a dose? Do I double up on the next dose or should I just skip it and hit the next one? So those are just some of the, the basic questions. And there's some other questions you could ask if I have time to hit a, a couple of more. Um, one is having to do with the cost of the medicine. So is there a less expensive generic version of the medicine uh, available? And I actually have a whole episode um, in Dr. Linda TV on brand versus generic medicines. So that's something to, to look into as well. I and mean, there's a blog on that subject. Um, will your insurance cover the cost of the medicine? What is the copay? Um, is there any other written information available? You know, there are some good websites out there to get reliable information. And um, I have an episode that's called um, How to Be a Good Health Detective and how to determine what websites are reliable to look at in terms of your health, including medicine websites. So what what would some of those be? What are a couple of websites that okay, are Okay, so reliable? one example might be um, drugs.com um, is, is one that's, that I've used quite a bit. Um, there's rxlist.com, which is sort of similar to that. And then some of the general health websites um, have medication information on them, like Mayo Clinic, I believe, and WebMD. And MedlinePlus.gov is a government uh, National Institute of Health website, which is great for lots of information, including supplement information as well. So that's another one people should check out, MedlinePlus.gov. So since we're talking about uh, how to be a good health detective and questions we should ask, I'm sure people would be curious um, about what they should know about taking the vaccine, if they should take it, if there are any potential side effects and, and what they should know. I'm, I mean, I think there are a lot of people that are skeptical. Yeah. The COVID vaccine. The COVID vaccine. Okay. I know I, I myself, I, I, I'm a threefer. I've already done it. I've had my first two back in February or back in February. I've already had my booster shot. I have autoimmune. So I like first in line, go ahead, stick it to me. I am not even going to risk it. You know, I don't want to risk whatever the side effects of COVID would be for myself personally or for anyone in my family. Um, both of my parents had had COVID. Um, I was deathly afraid uh, for them because my father is he's 75 he's a little overweight he's got asthma he's diabetic he has high blood pressure all of the things you would think um, he had the sniffles um, but another friend of mine his father not in any condition that my dad is in and he did not make it so I I personally am for it um, but I know that there are a lot of people that are not. So as a pharmacist and what you see, I would like to know your opinion and what people should know about the vaccine 
uh, and what what questions well, should be asked or answered? I, I think that your viewpoint is pretty similar to mine. Um, I think that for the level of risk of any potential side effects of the vaccine, it's pretty minimal. Um, maybe you might feel a little fluish for a day, a little chilled or a little sore arm. Not everybody feels that even. Nothing at all. Really, <laughs> that's a really small price to pay yeah. for being protected and protecting yourself and your family and your friends and the world. That's, I think this is a really a worldwide problem. And um, you know, when I, when I look back and see what was done when we had a smallpox problem or we had a polio problem, there was no question. Everybody lined up and got their, their shot, right? Or they got their sugar cube or whatever it was. Right. And I think that the beginning of this whole thing has um, become so politicized that um, it, it really did a disservice to, I think, the population as a whole as evidenced by over 650,000 people who've died of COVID. Uh, we've lost sight of what's important here. What's important here is keeping people alive, okay? Right. And the the potential for side effects is so low. There's so, um, and the FDA was, and the CDC are sticklers for safety and for making sure that something is efficacious before they let it out um, to the general public. And I can't think of a better group that I would want to put my life, my life into, you know, hands, put my life in their hands, because I think that they have the ability, the science, the data, the experts to to make those decisions. And I think we have to have a level of trust that and not and all the trust. I mean, but I mean, but a level of and, trust. And yes, a level yes. of trust, because I think, as we all know, sometimes things change as time sure. goes on. And but science, millions science, and millions definitely. of people have received the vaccine. And it's shown to be effective and sure people say, well, look, you, you need a booster. Well, why, why is that? Well, the efficacy may wane a little bit over time, but it still does a great job of keeping um, serious illness away and severe illnesses in hospitalizations and things like that. That's what we have shown. So even though it's not 100% perfect and they never promised that it was, uh, that the fact now that we do know that a booster is going to help uh, is very good news. And I think as soon as it's available for me, which uh, it should be hopefully within the next week or two, I'm going to be having my arm out there and getting it, getting the shot. Okay, that's just my feeling. Yeah, which we do also know is true for other vaccinations as, as some other vaccinations as well, is not that it 100% prevents you from getting the illness or, or the, the virus, but it prevents you from getting seriously ill. So this is not anything new. It is just that this has now become, you know, spotlighted. Is that a word? Well, Spot I think spotlit? <laughs> in, each, in each kind of disease we're talking about is slightly different. In some cases, right. it is 100%. Okay. Right. Absolutely. And, which is good, you know, because we wouldn't want it to be 75% for polio or smallpox or whatever, right? Right. So, so it is 100% in some cases. In this case, we know the studies show us, it, depending on which vaccine you're getting, it seems to be from 75 to 90 plus per, percent efficacy on the for the first first dose or first two doses, if it's a two dose mm -hmm. uh, one. And then the booster will help to bump it up a bit more. And time will tell. Maybe we'll need a booster once a year. Maybe we'll need. You know, we'll, we just don't know. There's so many unknowns in the future. But what we do know now is that 
Studies have shown this to be safe and effective, and there are only rare exceptions where it's caused any kind of a you know significant side effect. And I think people should start to, if you're on the fence, the time has come for all of us to get vaccinated. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think I wanted to touch a little bit on with vaccines and with health and and safety issues kind of um there are people out there that want to go more the healthy route you know i want to be healthy and i want to eat healthier and be healthier and do supplementation instead um what do you recommend as far as if if they want to take supplements instead of maybe not instead of but also or instead of or go into like immune health um, and trying to better their immune system or strengthen their supplementation routine um, what are some things that they could do to better that or things that they could watch out for as far as that Mm -hmm. well I will admit that I'm not a supplement person myself okay Okay. I've never never taken supplements um, other than maybe you know like prenatal vitamin or something like that but um so i'm not you know i i just want to you know understand where i'm coming from sure Um, that said as a pharmacist one you know needs to be aware of of supplements and recently i did a a little research on on the fda website and uh and found some really interesting things um so let me let me um start first of all by saying that the fda does not stand behind supplements in the sense the same way that they do um, convention yeah. they, don't, they don't they don't make any promises it's kind of do it at your own risk and and you can't believe everything you read type of thing okay and there are be, there are a few that, that are FDA approved but not many not many so and certainly you know vitamins people have been taking vitamins for centuries you know and and that's something that's one could have more confidence in but some of the other product categories, for example, um, things that people might take for muscle building or for um, sexual enhancement, performance things, weight loss, sleep aids, <clears throat> and, um, and even for pain, um, have been shown, interestingly enough, to contain hidden ingredients that are not on the label. And this is something that I just recently did research about, and uh, we are gonna be coming out with our supplement episode in a couple of days and it's it's basically did you know that there were hidden ingredients in your supplements and that's kind of shocking to me um so they found everything from uh, let's say in the performance enhancing they found cialis and viagra um in other in other what yes yes (laughs) and it's um it's crazy yeah and and even steroid related kinds of you know male hormone kinds of things and the bodybuilding things and um there's been other non other prescription products found in the supplements and the fda has started doing some testing of these products and that's been going on now for at least 10 years they don't make a huge fuss about it but on their website is a list of tainted supplements that have been located and it's not a complete list because they don't test everything, but there are literally over a thousand, if not more, tainted supplements that have been found to, and many of them contain, like, as I mentioned, you know, things like, you know, Viagra and Cialis and other, or, or like, for example, in the weight loss category, 
thing, this one drug called Sibutramine, which was taken off the market 10 years ago and because it causes cardiovascular effects, and they're finding it in some of these weight loss supplements. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of scary because these companies that put this stuff out, not only do they do it unscrupulously that they're putting something in there, but they aren't labeling the, the, and it's not a prescribed medicine. And you may be, let's say for example, in the case of the performance enhancing drugs, if that contain, if you're a performance enhancer, maybe it works because it's got, you know, Alice, <laughs> that's why it's working so well. But, but if you don't know it and you're taking like, let's say if you're an older person, you're taking nitroglycerin for um, angina, for example, nitrates are contraindicated for people who, um, are, if you're taking a nitrate, you shouldn't take a Viagra or a sales type product, okay? And so if you don't know that, that it's in there, you could be putting yourself at risk or danger. So um, it's kind of a surprising and shocking thing that it's going, still goes on today. And if you look on the FDA website, their list of tainted supplements, you will see uh, reports of, of products that have been tested as recently as like a week or two ago. So it's, go it's ongoing. And they keep finding these products and it's really scary that okay so dr linda i have to admit i am also not a supplement person okay and <laughs> i i do take like vitamin c um like i'll do like the emergencies um i i do i actually do feel that 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 helps um i do i do like that but i don't know whether it does anything or not i don't i haven't been sick in years so um but uh, people ask me very often because being in the health and fitness industry, being a, a personal trainer and, and Pilates teacher, people ask me all the time, you know, what kind of supplements can I take for this and what should I take for that? And I say, mm, you should consult with your doctor. <laughs> you know, I, I don't feel that for one, uh, if you're taking a multivitamin and your urine is bright yellow, it is because you are urinating out exactly what you put in your body <laughs> because your body doesn't need it. Um, so most of it is being excreted, which is why you see that. So you're right. If you are, if you're putting all of these extra things in your body, some of them your body might be absorbing that can be terrible for you or contraindicated or you know, you're getting too much of that you don't even know that you're getting too much of. So um, if, if you need supplementation, usually it's because you have, have something, you know, I have Hashimoto, so I take, um, uh, what do I take? Something for specifically for my thyroid. Yep, doesn't matter, can't remember <laughs> anyways. But, uh, oh, selenium, I take selenium um, to, for thyroid support. Um, but that's prescribed specifically by my doctor and it's a specific thyroid um, supplement that she knows is a good supplement. She knows the ingredients in it that's prescribed to me specifically. So things that are off the counter that do not go through my doctor, I, I don't know that that's something that I necessarily love either. So I actually... I am on on your side with that one for sure, and I will probably share your episode of that because I, yes, yeah, I, I mean, did not I realize you know, that that they there, had those kinds of ingredients. There are just to, to not completely trash the whole industry. Um, no. There are people that you know, maybe their diet is inadequate. Maybe they're elderly and they don't 
they don't have much of an appetite anymore and they need some, some sort of Absolutely. A, a boost, you know, uh, with, with vitamins or something. That's certainly an acceptable use of those kinds of products. Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, just to give you one other quick example, there was one um, of the supplements where they've actually found Prozac inside of it. Mm. So it's pretty scary because if suddenly you're taking one of these supplements and you get a side effect that you are completely, yeah. you think it's going to be completely benign. Oh, it's not prescribed. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, so there are mechanisms to report side effects like that. Sure. Uh, there's this thing, FDA has something called MedWatch where you can uh, report potential side effects. But as you were mentioning, I think it's, especially if you take other medicines, if you have other medical conditions, check with your healthcare provider, check with your pharmacist before using supplements. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, there are a few that are actually FDA approved. Um, and if you ever have any questions, ask your pharmacist, ask your healthcare provider, because they will, they will tell you, no, you do not need this. Don't take this. Or yeah, absolutely. That is perfectly safe you know, I'll check or check into this or look at this website. They'll, they'll have that information. But um, for most people taking things blindly and then you have weird side effects, I think, you know, you just need to be careful and, you know, don't blindly do things. I mean, you wouldn't do a lot of things blindly. So um, I do do some research and, and ask somebody that does know a little bit about it, but for sure. Um, so I will, I'll definitely be sharing that information because that is very interesting. Something that I did not, I did not know about that, but, um, so thank you so much for coming on the show today. Sure. Um, so Dr. Linda TV, YouTube and your website, I will absolutely be sharing that in my show notes. Um, is there anything else you would like to add today that we didn't touch on? Just that October is American pharmacist month and it's also talk about your medicines month. So perfect timing for your program. And I feel very honored that you had me. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate Check it. Out I think drlinda.tv. Drlinda.tv. Yeah. I will have that in my show notes. I'll be sharing uh, the website. If you have any questions, you can reach out to her on her um, on her website. Um, there's a special sec section for Ask Dr. Linda, so you can ask her any questions you have for sure. And I'm sure she would be happy to answer that. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think we covered some really fantastic information. And um, yeah. Thanks right. a lot. Good luck yeah. with your with your um, fitness minute. Is that what it's called? Fit minute. Yes. Fit minute. There you go. Fit minute. All right. Cool. Okay. Bye. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. If you would like more information on today's episode, you can find it in the show notes, or you can find it on Gabrielle's website at www.healthybodyworksaz.com. Be sure to share the show, give this podcast a review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Join us next week to hear more stories from people just like you. This has been the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People with Gabrielle Mazar.